Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. For those that do not know, my name is Nick, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you and celebrate all that God has done and what He is doing. Um, A little over a month ago, I uh, got my left hip replaced, and so I've been a little out of pocket for the last couple of weeks, but it is good to be back with family. Let me go ahead and just say that. It is good to be back with you guys. And... um, Brady did an incredible job last week as we began this journey through Acts, the church unleashed as he talked about at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came and didn't just dwell around the people as he had previously done, but he indwelled the people. And because of that, this church began, became unleashed. And so today we're going to continue to walk through Acts and see all that God has for us as we see how this early church, the church that we still get to be a part of today, was unleashed. And what I love about this is that the Lord is still unleashing his church to leave a mark on this world. And so we get to be a part of that. And so if you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, whatever it is you use to read God's word, if that's your phone, if that's your laptop, desktop, whatever, go ahead, no judgment here. Go ahead and get that out, and we are going to begin in Acts chapter 3. But before we do, let me just kind of tell you what's going on. So the Holy Spirit got unleashed, and so these people of God, these followers of Christ, have begun to go out. They began to preach this gospel. They began to tell people about what Jesus had done. And people are being added to the number. People are going, wow, this is changing my life. And we see this church continue to move. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple for prayer, and God's going to continue to use his followers to do something that only he can do. So we'll pick it up in verse 1, chapter 3 of Acts. It says this, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, verse 2. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Let's pause right there for just a second. So at this temple gate called Beautiful, what I love is that God is about to do something truly beautiful and only what he could do. He was put here every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. See, this guy who was lame had gone to this temple gate for a long time. This was the normal rhythm of his life. And what he would do when he got there is he would ask people for money. So Peter and John come here, and he just looks at them and goes, hey, can you give me some money? See, he just wanted to be supported in his current condition. He did not realize that Jesus wanted to completely change his situation, and he's going to do that. Verse number four. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. See, I don't want us to pass too quickly about this layman. This layman, it says, he had been lame since birth. So he had never taken his first steps. I'm sure his parents wanted him to. They were anticipating the moment when he would take his first steps. But this guy never got to take his first steps. 
on the playground or while his friends were playing. He never got to participate. He was always a bystander and never a participator. Also, based on this current circumstance, it will lead us to believe that he never got married. And the reason is because he was unable to provide. By everyone's standards, this was a hopeless case. He couldn't walk. He didn't have much to offer. It was a hopeless case. And then Peter and John fix their eyes on this hopeless case, and they see him. See, Peter and John were able to see this man because they had been seen. What I mean by that is Peter and John were a hopeless case as well. Before Christ, they were a hopeless case. And now that they have been seen and known by Jesus, they are more aware of their surroundings and they can spot a hopeless case because they recognize no longer are they hopeless. But they have been given hope through Jesus. And so these two guys were able to see this guy his hopeless case because they had been seen. And let's kind of drill down a bit further in this and see how Peter was reinstated. And we talked a little last week, Peter the coward, he was in the garden where Jesus is being questioned. A little girl comes up to Peter and goes, hey, Peter, aren't you one of those that were Jesus' friend? And what does Peter do? No, I don't know that cat. Uh-uh, Jesus who? He was a coward, and yet Jesus intervened his hopeless situation and reinstated him. And we see this story found in John chapter 21, verse 7. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, let's pause real quick. So when John wrote this book, so when John says the disciple in which Jesus loves, he's talking about himself. Yeah, Jesus loved this disciple. It's me. I love that. Anyways. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Let's pause right there. Like, we've seen Peter. I don't know if Peter just really trusted the Lord. He just likes jumping in water. I don't know, all right? But I'm thinking to myself, if I'm this guy, I'm just going to wait till I get to the shore. I'm going to be like, Jesus, I'm coming. Paddle, paddle, paddle. Peter jumps out of the boat. It's almost as if he's just overwhelmed with the sight of Jesus because, see, here's the deal. He realized that he had failed Jesus by his standard, and he just wanted to get to Jesus. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew he wanted to be with Jesus because Jesus was where his hope came from. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I love Jesus made them breakfast. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says this. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? And Peter says this, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, hey, Peter, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to, to be a part of this thing that I am calling you to that's going to change the world. See, Peter was seen by Jesus, and because he was seen by Jesus, he was able to see others who also were in a hopeless situation. Which brings us back to this lame beggar, verse 6 of Acts chapter 3. Then Peter said to this lame beggar, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Hold up. What just happened? And did you notice that he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? This is also what he was saying. In the name of Jesus, who is not in the grave, who has overcome death, who was resurrected and ascended into heaven, who is seated at the right hand of God in his name, the living king, I tell you to get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. See, Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, is really into how the human body operates. So he goes, listen, his hands and his feet and his ankles became strong. Through the power of Jesus, Jesus healed this man's disability. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, which all of us would do. If you had never walked before, if you had never danced before, if you had never jumped before, when you were able to do that, what do you do? You're going to do it, right? And he had to tell somebody, like, listen, y'all, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I have never walked before, but do you see me now? I'm walking. He had to let everybody know, and this is the first miracle we see in Acts. There are 14 other miracles of healing that are going to happen in the book of Acts. Twelve of the 28 chapters in Acts are going to speak of what God was able to do through the power of Jesus and through him filling people with the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says this. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Could you imagine the people? This brother starts walking and jumping and praising God. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't you the cat that just asked me for a dollar? Isn't that you? Aren't you the guy that I've seen day in and day out asking for money, asking for help to sit in front of the beautiful gate so that you can have some means in which to live? Is this the same guy? Because if you're the same guy, something has happened. This is not through the power of Peter and John. This has to be through the power of something greater than these. And it was through the power of Jesus Christ. 
the risen king. And I get it. We read stuff like this and our mind goes to places of, hey, is God still able to do that? Is he still able to heal miraculously? Is he still able to use medicine and heal? Is he still able to do what he did? Because for some of us, we go, hey, God, I have been praying day in and day out for you to heal my wife from cancer. I've been praying for you to help my mom in her dire situation. I have been praying for you to move supernaturally, God, and you have not yet done it. There's a quote by a lady named Priscilla Shire. She's an okay communicator. She's wrote a few books. Her dad's Tony Evans, whatever, back up off me, Priscilla. Anyways, she says it this way, which frames it oh so well for all of us. She says this, whether or not God chooses to do something is a question of his sovereignty. God's sovereignty is his all-power, all-knowing ability. He is able to do what he wants because of who he is. So whether or not God chooses to do something is a question of his sovereignty, not his ability. Whether or not he will do it is his business. But believing that he can, that's our business. See, right here in this early church, God is all about using a temporary fix to display his eternal solution. So yes, he healed a man, but really what he's doing is just giving us a preview of what Jesus has done through his completed work on the cross. There will be one day that we all will be fully restored. Because of what Jesus has done through his cross, we have our biggest need answered, and that need is... We all need to overcome death, and because Jesus, through what he did on the cross, was able to overcome death, I am able to overcome death because of what he did. See, this healing is just given a temporary fix to point to an eternal solution. Because here's what's true. This guy who was healed, he was going to die eventually, everybody. Eventually, one day, his body was going to run out, and he was going to die, but... His eternal need was answered through Jesus. And God is all about using a temporary fix to display his eternal solution. And what I also love about this is we see that when Jesus heals him, he heals him completely. This guy didn't stand up and start limping. We would still be in awe of that. Like, whoa, Jesus, you healed him. He might have a limp, but he's walking. No, Jesus healed him completely because Jesus doesn't do anything halfway, everybody. He is not a halfway savior. He did not almost answer our need. He answered our need in full and paid the debt in full. Jesus is all about doing it all the way. And we see this through this picture that he paints of us paints for us for his eternal solution. It says in Acts 3, let, let me remind us, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Jesus did that. Because he was able, and he's still alive, and he's still reigning, and he's still ruling. 
And since Jesus is enough for our eternal issue, he is sufficient enough to answer our temporary issues as well, everybody. If he can answer our eternal need, he can answer our temporary need as well. But hear me. Maybe for you, this healing has not yet come. You've prayed for it, you've prayed for it, you've prayed for it, you've prayed for it, and yet it still hasn't come. And you have begun to grow weary, and you have begun to believe and maybe begin to doubt, like, God, maybe you are not able still to move in that way. Maybe that's not how you're going to answer it. I want everyone to hear me, because maybe this is why you came in here today. Hear me. There is going to be one day on that great getting up morning where we all will take up our mats, and we will run, and we will leap. And when we will jump. And it might not be on this side of glory, but I promise you, one day, our bodies are going to be fully restored. And we will fully be healed because of what Jesus has done. And it might not happen on this side of glory, but it doesn't mean that God's not able to do it. It just means he hasn't chosen to right now. And I wish I had an answer for you. Well, why not, Nick? I don't know. But this is what I do know. He is able and he is good. And so I'm going to let that truth direct my steps because I know that one day I'm going to pick up my mat and I'm going to run and I'm going to leap and I'm going to jump and I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be fully restored. I'm going to praise be the name of God who keeps his promises and he is able. And so maybe for you, you have started to lose hope, but know that one day restoration is coming, even if it's not on this side of glory. Don't lose hope because your God is able. And he will fully restore you on that great getting up morning. And we won't need a mat in heaven. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Mm. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. See, Peter wanted everyone to know, listen, I didn't do this. This is not something I conjured up. I am not able to. But let me tell you who did do it. And then he begins to tell them all about Jesus. Peter leveraged the miracle to present the gospel. He said, hey, this is just a preview of what is to come. And as I see the boldness of Peter and that he leveraged this miracle to present the gospel, this question I have to ask myself. Am I leveraging the breakthroughs in my life to display the gospel of Jesus? See, some of us sit there and we go, well, I haven't had many breakthroughs. Let me help you. Maybe you just need to put on a new lens. If you have stepped from death to life, I would call that a breakthrough, everybody. 
If your marriage or relationship has been reconciled, I would dare say that that is a breakthrough. If you've had a prodigal child come home, I would dare say there's a breakthrough. See, sometimes we want to tell God that a breakthrough is not breakthrough enough for us. And God's going, I'm going to keep working. Even if you don't see it right now, maybe eventually you'll recognize what I'm doing in your life. Because he is moving and he is working. And so I have to ask myself, am I leveraging the breakthroughs in my life to display the gospel of Jesus? Because, guys, that's why he's doing it in our lives so we can point the finger to him and go, listen, Jesus, he did it. I didn't raise myself from death to life. I am not able, but Jesus did it. I'm not able in my own strength to be reconciled in relationship to somebody. Jesus did that. Are you leveraging your breakthroughs to display the gospel of Jesus? So Peter preaches this gospel and he goes, hey, just want you to know that Jesus is just giving you a preview of what he offers to everyone in eternity. And these guys being obedient and doing exactly what God called them to do is an awesome, awesome picture just to see what Jesus was able to do with his spirit that dwelled within them. But hear me, because I don't want y'all to leave and be like, well, Nick, you never told me this. I'm going to tell you right now. Hear me. Whenever you are willing to be obedient to what the Lord has called you to, opposition will come. Let me say that again. When you choose to be obedient, I want you to know that opposition is coming. Why? Because there is an enemy that desires to steal, kill, and destroy, and does not want the gospel of Jesus to continue to reach people in their broken states. So know that. Like, sometimes when you agree and you walk in right relationship with Jesus, you say, Jesus, I recognize who you are and what you have done, and I recognize that you have overcome in the grave, and because of that, I accept that. Sometimes, and sometimes it appears to get worse before it gets better. Some of us go, man, I said yes to Jesus. It's like my life fell apart. Y'all, don't step out of the process before the process is finished. Jesus is still moving. He's still acting. He has not forgotten about you. But know that opposition always comes when you decide that you are going to be obedient. And let me just tell you this. I think Peter and John would tell you if they were standing here today that the opposition is worth it. Because what's on the other side of the obedience? Chapter 4, verse 1. The priest... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about five Thousand. What? Five thousand? Can I just tell you, Peter and John in their own strength can't do that. Let's just be real. It doesn't matter how eloquent they were. It doesn't matter, matter how, how well they explained the text. It doesn't matter. They are not able to do that in and of themselves. It took a movement of the Spirit of God that was dwelling within them to be able to accomplish something like that. But here's what is true about obedience. It will always yield far more than what we expect. 
See, obedience just is the path that leads us to what God has in store. See, sometimes we think of obedience as God is trying to keep me from something. Can I just tell you something? God is not trying to keep you from anything. What he is doing, God wants something for you. And he knows the pathway in order to get there is obedience. Why? Because we are our own worst enemies. You ever follow behind your own ways and do it your own way? It doesn't lead anywhere good. Like, well, God always trying to tell me to do what to do. Because you don't know what you're doing. It's true. We don't want to admit that. But every time I've tried to do it my own way, it has never led me anyplace good. Ever. But whenever I am willing to walk in obedience to what God has called me to do, I am telling you this. God does some work. And it might not look like what I thought, but God does some work. Why? Why? Why does it yield more than what we expect? Because when Jesus overcame the cross and kicked it on its side, it became a multiplier. We see that with 5,000 people coming in right relationship with Jesus. Jesus kicked over the cross and used it for his glory. What? Became a multiplier. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. What was Peter filled with? Y'all better keep up. What was Peter filled up with? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. And he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. See, at this point in Peter's sermon, I hear the piano player come out. The B3 was like, ah. like you, you know, I mean, you kind of sent it. You're like, listen. This man that you killed, you were unsuccessful in because God said, Jesus, get up. <laughs> Verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's pause. The audience is looking at these two guys. And they're looking at Peter and go, isn't that John's boy? He used to be a fisherman. No other rabbi wanted to lead him, but yet this ragamuffin Jesus came and who was buried, but yet was resurrected. Like, what is going on? There is no way these two cats, these two cats could do such a thing. So what was their resolution? They must have been hanging out with Jesus because he is a game changer. He changes everything. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. See, these guys, these 
religious leaders could have said, hey, we don't believe that Jesus healed that man in the name of Jesus. And what I love about Peter and John, they just go, okay, but there he is. Like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're unschooled and ordinary, but we do know that Jesus had to do it. Why? Because the lame man is walking now. That's all I know. And Jesus did it. Mic drop. Because what are you going to say? See, the testimony was standing there in their midst. Here's the thing I love. God has given each and every one of us a testimony if we are walking in right relationship with Jesus. And so now we get to go, listen, I I don't have all the answers, but this is what I do know. I know that before Jesus, I was dead, and here's how I was. And now after Jesus, I am not perfect, but I am not who I used to be. What are you going to say about the testimony that appears before your eyes? Nothing. Because the evidence was undeniable. Goes on to say this, verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. They had to regroup. Like, hold on, y'all, we got to have a meeting. We got to figure this thing out. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Good luck with that. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied. I love it. Y'all, something's about to come. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. Verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Listen, we can't listen to you. Why? Because Jesus has done a work and we can't deny it, and so we're just going to stick with Jesus. At the end of the day, we're going to stick with the guy that was dead and now is alive. That's a good bet, y'all. I'm not going to stand with you. What have you done? What can man do to me? I'm standing with the guy who was dead in the grave and then three days later said, I'm done resting. Let's get up. They said, I'm going to stick with that guy. So I can't help it. I can only testify the things I've seen and heard. So I am going to stick with Jesus. Who are these guys? These guys are not the same guys that we have read about before. See, here's what is true. When you add the Holy Spirit to ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. Let me say it again in case you missed that. When you add the Holy Spirit 
to ordinary, it becomes extraordinary. So what does that mean for you and I? That means that if you are walking in relationship with Jesus, you are not all the things you used to be. You are not your shortcomings. You are not your failures. You are not where your family is from. You are no longer those things. But what you are now, because of the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have become extraordinary. And for some of you, and some of me sometimes, I think to myself, I'm not that extraordinary. Listen, it's not about me. It's about what is contained within me that makes me extraordinary. Me, in and of myself, not that great. Me, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, you better watch out. Because I have been changed by the blood of Jesus and his spirit now dwells within me. See, the problem for some of us, we have still believed the lie that we're ordinary. So we keep living the same old ordinary lives. But if you have been filled with the power of Jesus Christ, if you've been filled with his spirit, It says that you are extraordinary, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. So as I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, whoo, okay, Jesus, what is a way that I can wrap my arms around this heavy, big, amazing truth? And so I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. John, come out here. Y'all give John a hand. He's going to come and help me. Give him a hand. Thank you, John. You're looking good today, man. You're so strong. Thank you. All right. So each and every one of us, we are a vessel. We are a container. We, that's who we are. We, are. we are something. We are something that is filled with something. And so I was thinking about that, but we all look different. We all come from different places. And so our containers look different. Like some of us are very practical. Look at the handle. Like, oh, I can drink and not get burned. It's awesome, right? Some of us are kind of fancy. We're like, oh, look at me. Better watch out. Some of us are tall, skinny, and we don't like those people, but we pray for them anyways. <laughs> some of us are made of plastic, and so some of us feel less than because we're not made of glass and we're not like everybody else. And so we go, oh, I'm a plastic container. I'm not as good as everybody else, right? But the thing about plastic, it bounces when it falls. I like that. This one I can kind of relate to. It's kind of short and squatty and wide. I like it. We'll call this the Nick container right there. And see, we all are very good at telling everybody about our outside container. We're very good at identifying ourselves with everything how we look. Like some of us say, hey, I'm tall. Some of us say we're short. Some of us say, hey, I'm the color of my skin. Some of us say I'm a male, I'm a female. Some of us are so good at identifying ourselves by our outward container that we start believing that that's our chief identifier. Sometimes we believe, oh, I cost more than the other container, and so now I have worth because of how much money I have in the bank. But here's what's interesting. That identifier is not really strong enough, y'all. But yet we are all so good at saying, hey, I'm this, I'm practical. Hey, I'm this, I'm short, and I probably just put the biscuit down, but I'm still being used. Like, that's how we identify ourselves, But what I love through the power of the Spirit of God that he has put within us, he changes the game. Now, this is Chick-fil-A sweet tea. See, some of y'all are going to be mad later, be like, you know what? I really want Chick-fil-A. Can't get it. But um, (laughs) so I'm sorry. So y'all don't don't trip a brother later, be like, hey, how are you going to talk about sweet tea from Chick-fil-A when I can't get it on Sunday? I'm sorry. But I couldn't think of a better way to illustrate the beauty 
of the Holy Spirit because we all know that unsweet tea is not from the Lord, y'all. But here's what is beautiful about these containers. See, we want to identify ourselves just by the look of the container or the material of the container or, or whatever else, but because Jesus has put his spirit to dwell within us. See, we're no longer identified just by the container. But then if we kind of look a little bit closer, we become identified by what the container contains. See, it's not about the container, everybody. I know we've gotten real good at letting that be our chief identifier of, hey, this is who I am. No, 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 no. We've got it all wrong. See, because we have been filled with the Spirit of God, the contents in the container now define the container. See, for you and I, what that means is no, you're no longer chiefly identified by whether you're tall or short, skinny or not. You're not identified by the color of your skin or where you come from or how much money you have in the bank because that's the container. Now, because Jesus has put his spirit to dwell within you, now the container is defined by its contents. See, now you are a people that have been filled with the Spirit of God, and that changes everything. We no longer say, I'm my failures. No, we now say, I'm a child of the living God who has been filled with his Spirit, who has been called by name, who has been called by purpose. I have some supernatural power because of what Jesus has done. That is who I am. And when we know who we are, we live differently in light of it. So this is who you And you might go, but Nick, I don't believe you. Let me just go ahead and tell you as honestly as I can. I don't care because it doesn't make it any less true. Just because you choose to live an ordinary life doesn't mean that's the life you've been called to live. Because you have been filled with the spirit of God, that is what identifies you. So that when people come up and say, oh, you're just a plastic container, You're just a short, squatty container. You're just a tall, pretty container. We go, you know what? You're missing it. I'm not defined by my outward container. I have been called and identified by what I contain. And I contain the spirit of a living God. And so I'm no longer ordinary, but I'm extraordinary because of who he says I am. It's a game changer. So maybe today... You are not yet, you have not yet accepted the invitation from Jesus to walk in relationship with him. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day where you say, Jesus, I recognize that you died for me, that you were perfect, and I recognize that you were resurrected from the grave by your father. And because of that, I say yes to the invitation to be in right relationship with you. I recognize that your death on the cross paid for all my shortcomings, all my sin, past, present, and future. And because of that, I know that I am new and that I am saved. Maybe today is your day where that happens for you. Or maybe the day is the day where you go, you know what? I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to allow the Lord to lead me wherever he wants to lead me because I recognize I'm no longer ordinary, but I'm extraordinary because of the power of the, Holy, the person of the Holy Spirit that lives within me. If you would, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you that we no longer have to identify ourselves just by these containers. 
Lord, thank you that we can all, all resonate with the words that Paul penned in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he said, but we have this treasure talking about the gospel in jars of clay. When you look at a jar of clay, it feels very flimsy and feeble. But because we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed because we're no longer just clay vessels, but we're clay vessels that hold the spirit of the living God. That's our treasure, and that is what identifies us. Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Lord, may we be reminded of your gospel every minute of every day. And may we live lives in response to what you have done. And may we recognize that because we are walking in relationship with you, you have put your spirit to dwell within us. And so we're no longer ordinary, but you have called us to be extraordinary. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your name. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.